for God? Have you ever wondered whether uh, he would accept you or whether, you know, maybe you, you could meet some kind of standard that might be in your own mind? Um, maybe you thought, well, if people really knew what my history was or if they knew where I'd been in my lifetime, um, they wouldn't be so welcoming or so accepting of me. But, but what about God accepting you? Maybe you've thought, that, uh, you know, the barriers to entry are just too high. I can't quite make it. Maybe you thought that you had to, you know, complete some sort of entrance exam for, for Christianity or for, for the kingdom of God. You've had those thoughts in your mind. Um, today, I, I want to share with you uh, a couple of stories from the New Testament that just show us something powerful about God today, and that is that He accepts us uh, regardless of where we've come from, and that there is actually no... Uh, barrier to entry in the kingdom of God. Now, I need to qualify this at the start by saying that uh, I'm not saying today that everybody will be saved. We use the word saved, don't we? It's a, it's a biblical word. I'm not saying everyone will be saved because clearly there are some people who don't want anything to do with God and that's okay. However, I want you to know that everybody who's open to, to the things of God, everybody who wants to come to God, everybody who's got a spark of desire in their life to know God and to follow Him is going to be able to do that because he makes it clear in the Bible. That is the case. The message of Jesus, the message about Jesus is absolutely inclusive and no one is outside the scope of being reached by God. There is, um, there's a recurring theme uh, right throughout the Bible and it's calling upon God. You know, right throughout the Old Testament, God says, you know, call unto me and I will answer you. Or, you know, um, David, the psalm, writer of the psalm says, um, I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. And this, this uh, theme or this constant thing is uh, calling upon God, calling upon God. And yet we get to the prophet Joel and he cuts right to the chase. He goes right to the core of what this is all about. And he says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Whoever, regardless of where you've come from, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So I want to share with you about God's salvation story today. Uh, that's not just for a few people, it's for all. But uh, uh, this guy called Nicodemus comes to Jesus. And we're going to read actually in a moment um, that passage of scripture that talks about this. He is the respectable, sophisticated guy, uh, educated. He's part of the religious elite, as you might have figured out there. He's the kind of guy who always sits at the head table at functions. Um, he's the guy who goes to the council meetings and gets asked for his opinion, opinion on all sorts of things. He's the guy that people look up to and always want to go and open the door for him or ask him to go to the front of the queue, things like that. He's, the, he's the, the guy the, at the top of the stack, you might say. And he comes to Jesus late at night, one night. Let's read what it says in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, which is the same as we've just been watching. There was a man of the Pharisee sect, Nicodemus. That means a religious kind of a guy, a prominent leader among the Jews. Late one night, he visits Jesus and said, Rabbi, we all know you're a teacher straight from God. No one could do all the God-pointing, God-revealing acts you do if God weren't 
in on it. And I love this bit. And Jesus gets cut straight to the point. He said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me, unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. So it was an incredible encounter. You know, Nicodemus, he'd, he'd heard of the miracles of Jesus, maybe even seen some firsthand. He'd heard Jesus teaching, and he knew there was something supernatural about it. You saw it on the video a few moments ago. But and he wants, he wants a, a spiritual conversation with Jesus, but he's still afraid to be seen in public with Jesus. Um, but I like the fact that Jesus goes to the point about being born again, that transformation of heart of, of a person's inner life that means everything in that person's life begins to change. That's what he, Jesus went to, and that's what we have to go to today. That's the main point of what I'm sharing about this morning, that it, it, you know, it's not externals that really matter. It's what's happening in our heart on the inside of us. Now, I want us to go now for a few moments and talk about another encounter that someone had with Jesus um, of a very different kind. And what's interesting about this is that these are in two consecutive chapters of the Gospel of John. That was John chapter 3. Now we're going to look at John chapter 4 and look at a story of when someone else meets Jesus um, and this, it's, a, it's a Samaritan uh, woman. And, you know, there's a lot of conjecture. The Samaritans weren't accepted by the Jewish people. They were like outcasts. And there's a lot of uh, discussion about why they were outcasts from the Jewish people. Um, uh, but the fact is there, we do know that there was a, about a thousand years of history separating the Samaritans in the north from the people of Judea in the south. Uh, they didn't want anything to do with them, probably because the Samaritans had really rejected the law or parts of the law of God and had intermarried with other tribes. And the Jewish people were very protective of their, I'll say, racial purity. They wanted to think that they, you know, because God had said, don't do that, okay? So they were, it, it meant a lot to them. And so they were actually quite racist. Anyone else from another nation or... And especially the Samaritans because they had intermarried with other nations. And so they were like the worst kind of outcasts because they were neither one thing or the other. So... Um, if you really wanted to offend somebody, a Jewish person, call them a Samaritan. And that's what they did to Jesus. They said to Jesus, didn't we say you're a Samaritan and you've got a demon or you're demonized? They said that to Jesus. It was, it was it's, if you really wanted to offend someone, that's what you did. And so when Jesus came and told the story of the good Samaritan, it freaked people out. And he wasn't just trying to justify himself. He was trying to cut across their thinking about another nationality. He said, oh, the good Samaritan. What? We've never heard such a thing before. So godly Jews traveling from Judea, Jerusalem, in the south, up to Galilee in the north, the other part of which is sort of linked to, to Israel. They would go around Samaria. They want to go through Samaria. So... When one day Jesus says to his disciples, um, we're going to take a detour, we're going to Galilee, we're going to go through Samaria. They said, what? 
they, you know, I can imagine them sitting around a campfire and they say, Jesus, do you know what you're doing? You know? Anyway, they did. And let's read what happened when they went through Samaria. John chapter 4, verse 6. And it says, Jesus, worn out by the trip, sat down at the well. He's in Samaria, a little village called Sychar, a little village. And it was noon, 12 o'clock or mid, mid, midday. And a woman, a Samaritan, came to draw water. Jesus said, would you give me a drink of water? His disciples had gone to the village to buy food for lunch. The Samaritan woman, taken aback, said, well, how come you, a Jew, are asking me, a Samaritan woman, for a drink? Jews in those days wouldn't be caught dead talking to Samaritans. As I said, it was just something they didn't do. But Jesus answered, if you knew the generosity of God and who I am, you would be asking me for a drink and I would give you fresh living water. And then that scripture, that first part of that verse has really struck me in, in my heart. If we knew the generosity of God and who Jesus is, and I, and I think, folks, that that should be our key message. We should be saying that every day of our life. God, you are so good. You are so generous. And we just want to know more of who Jesus is. That should be our theme. That should be our main, our main message. So it's the middle of the day. Um, she comes to the well for water and most commentators in this passage say the reason for that is probably because she'd been she wasn't accepted by the other women of the village she was rejected by the other women of the village so can you imagine how how she felt i mean we're talking about a nation that had been rejected and so she's been rejected by the people that have already been rejected how would you feel you wouldn't feel that good about yourself would you It wasn't long before her circumstances became clear. And we won't read the rest of this because it's, the story is quite long. But just to say that, Jesus began to say to her and explain to her about her life. He knew her whole life story. And he began to say, you know, he, he began to read her mail, basically, and, and tell her about her history and about her life. She was, of course, freaked out by this. And she says, I, I see that you're a prophet. And what happened is she, she left there and went into the village, got all of her rel relatives or family, people she knew, brought them out, and Jesus spoke to them. And the, that whole village was transformed. That whole village was changed by that encounter with Jesus. So here's my point today, friends. Both of these two people, Nicodemus and the Samaritan woman, found they had an encounter with Jesus that was life-transforming. They were changed on the inside. The circumstances were different. In fact, everything about this was completely different. And I, I want us just for a few moments this morning. I'm not going to take very long. This, this is a very simple message. I've only actually got one point today to share with you. And the point is this. No matter what circumstances are in your life, no matter what your history, no matter where you came from, no matter what your family background is or financial circumstances or anything about your life, Jesus says, I want you to come to me. That's all he says. So this morning, we're just going to talk a little bit about comparing Nicodemus and the woman of Samaria and uh, see that there's no difference in God. In, all, in those two stories. So the first thing is their gender. 
You know, in the first story, Nicodemus, he's a guy, he's a man, okay? In the second story, she's, she's a woman. Now, that just shows us that gender is, doesn't matter in, in God's economy. It's so important to us, I know, it's part of our identity, but coming to God, it doesn't matter. In God's kingdom, it's neither male nor female. And uh, in, in Galatians 3.28, you've probably seen this scripture before. In Christ's family... There can be no division into Jew and non-Jew, slave and free, male and female. Any, among us, you are all equal. That is, we're all in a common relationship with Jesus. Now, I think this is important because down through history, you know, there's been a lot of discrimination in God's kingdom. God says there is neither male nor female. It's important we get that, you know, understand that. And... Um, that's the first thing. Coming to Jesus, there is neither male nor female. Second thing is geography. So the first story about Nicodemus, um, it's in the middle of a, of a busy city, you know, the, the center of the universe for those people at that time, and it probably was a, a very significant city at that time in, in world affairs. The second story is on the outskirts of a little country town out in, in, in the scrub somewhere, and... Um, so, so what it says to us is that where you come from doesn't really make, or in fact, doesn't make any difference at all in God's economy. And I, um, I, I was reminded as I was thinking about this of uh, a story I heard years ago, and it's never left me, of a, uh, a missionary in Africa. This is uh, David Newington, uh, Murray and Karen, you'll know this, you'll know of him, uh, a well-known missionary from the past century. Uh, in Africa, and he told this story of a of a, a little uh, there's a, a little country, a landlocked country in South Africa called Lesotho, fully within the borders of South Africa, and a humanitarian aid team went there um, to to drill for water because the, the the whole country was in a in a, a desperate drought. And so they went to, to drill for water, knowing they'd be there for a while. The leader of the, the uh, team, who was a Christian, um, he got to know some of the locals, and he said um, to himself, I'm going to plan to translate the, the Bible or part of the Bible into their language um, because they had, no, they had no knowledge of God, whatever. Where they were at that time, there, there were no believers in Jesus. They had no uh, understanding of the things of God. And so he started to learn their language so he could translate the Gospel of Mark into their language. And he discovered that their language was so primitive, it only had about 250 words in their whole language. Now, that's pretty basic. That's really... I don't know how many, how many words do we have. Like, we've got tens or hundreds of thousands in English, a lot. They keep adding to them all the time. So... This language was so basic. So he started to translate the Gospel of Mark, and there was no word for any of the words that we use to relate to God, like believe or confess or repent or anything like that. The only word they had that was remotely could be used to uh, express relating to God was the word agree. So uh, everywhere that came up in the Gospel of Mark, he would use the word agree. So eventually... As he shared this with some of the village people, um, some of them started to agree with him. Some of them started to agree. And over time, 
the agreeers said, well, let's meet together. And so they built a little hut for the agreeers. Once a week, they could come together and, and agree together. And so <laughs> we get way too sophisticated, don't we? We have too much stuff. Let's face it, right? It has to be this way. It has to be that. No, 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 no. They came together and they every week and they agreed together. And then you know what happened is because this land was deeply in drought, one day God met them. Out of the floor of the little hut where they were, there was a spring bubbled up. And it flowed out through the door. And they channeled it down into the village, and God met their need. A bit like the rock. Where's your rock, Mary? <laughs> that happened probably only a couple of decades ago. So my point is that we don't have to be sophisticated. And if you think you came from some backwards kind of a place... I want to tell you that God loves you and he welcomes you exactly the same. And he can move in power in your life exactly the same. And I love that thought. The third thing is about respect. You know, Nicodemus was a respected member of the strictly orthodox Pharisees, uh, you know, the, the leading people of the Jewish religion. He's respected. And the Samaritan woman... She is a disreputable member of an ethnic group looked down on by so many people. Now, I didn't tell you before, but um, she'd been married five times, the Bible tells us. You can read this in John chapter 4. And she's currently living in this de facto relationship with another guy. And, and basically, her life was a mess. You know, she was looking for love, not finding it, trying to sort things out, trying to work through, you know, imagine, I don't know about children or how, what would have happened, but her life was a mess. And so here's the point, racial background, religious identity, um, moral track records, all those things are neither here nor there when it comes to reaching out to God. Now, I'm not saying he won't want to change something about your life, but we do know this, that we, anyone, regardless of where they've come from, can say yes to Jesus, can reach out to him and say, God, I want you in my life. And he's not going to say no. He's going to say, come in. The door's open. The door is open. Just come right in. Step in. The fourth thing is about reputation. So the man, the guy, Nicodemus, he is named, and we know a bit about his history. The woman is unnamed. And so we don't know her name. So what that says is that reputation and standing in the community don't count for anything when it comes to the kingdom of God and what God and being called into God's kingdom. It doesn't matter if you've got a string of letters after your name. You know, you need two business cards to fit them all on. Or if you've never even been to school in your life. You know, Nicodemus had position and power and influence. You know, I was watching on TV last night. Um, 
the new head of the Australian Olympic Committee has been appointed, whatever. And I thought, well, you know, that's, that's the sort of guy that Nicodemus would have been. Influence, power, like the mayor of the city or, you know, or the, the general manager of the Toowoomba Hospital's board or something like that. He would have been a significant person in the community. She was unknown, unnamed, and didn't have a reputation of any kind. Jesus just welcomed her right into his kingdom and, and that's exactly the same for us. Of course, not only that, in, in regard to reputation, there were reputations put at stake here. Nicodemus risks his reputation by speaking with Jesus and Jesus risks his reputation by talking with a Samaritan woman. So, you know, sometimes we can worry too much about our reputation. We can think too much about it. And God says, I just want you to come. I want you to come and I want, I want to transform your life. There's a sense in, this, in, in looking at these two stories of, of people crossing over lines of caution, we might say, or, or you know, ignoring convention on both, on both, in both these stories. But reputation doesn't count for anything in the kingdom of God, in God's economy. The last point I want to make here is that who takes the initiative? Because in the first story, Nicodemus, we saw before, he comes to Jesus. And Nicodemus is reaching out. He comes it's secretly by night, true. But he's, he's, wanting to, he's wanting to find and meet Jesus. Her story looked like a chance encounter. She just went out to the well like she always did every lunchtime. But it was different because Jesus was right there. And to me, that's amazing because it shows us that, you know, Nicodemus thought he was pursuing Jesus. Actually, Jesus is always pursuing us. He's going after us. And, the same, and we really see it in the story of the Samaritan woman because when you study it, you look at the whole passage there and read it, it says that uh, he said to the disciples... Um, I need to go through Samaria. Well, they never went through Samaria. They always went around. They didn't want to have to deal with these people. They were, you know, unusual. They didn't like them. You know what happens when, when we don't like someone? I don't, look, I'm not going to say this mightn't happen for you, but it happens to all of us. This is human nature. It works this way. If you hate someone, and I don't say you should ever hate anyone, but when you hate someone, it doesn't matter what they do, it's always wrong. Is that right? Now you might, you might have an intense, let's say, intense dislike for someone that's really offended you in the past or, or whatever. And, you know, they might be doing some great things, but it doesn't matter. It's always wrong because you, don't, you can't get your head around that. And it's, that's the way it was for the Jews and the Samaritans. Everything they did was wrong. Jesus said, I need to go through Samaria. Why was that? Because he knew what was coming. There was an appointment, a divine appointment with this lady. And, Jesus, and God, the Father, was reaching out to her to save her soul. So who takes the initiative? It doesn't really matter. What matters is that we have that point of connection with God. And I just, I want to say here, friend, he's always reaching out to us. And so I like to say, friends, this morning, don't ever think that you are too far gone for God, because you're not. 
I, I said this was a simple message, and it's very simple. That's my only real point. Don't ever think you're too far gone for God. And don't think that anyone else in your circle of influence, maybe family or friends, don't think that anyone else is too far gone. Maybe I won't, I won't share my story, my testimony with that person because oh, they would never respond. You don't know. And you don't know what else is happening in their life at that time. You don't know what happened in their life this morning, you know, that might have opened them up to the things of God. You don't know what crisis that person might really be going through right now. So don't ever think that anyone is too far gone for God because they're not. I want to share with you as we come to close one, one more story. Jesus told this story. It's in Luke chapter 14. It's a story of the, the dinner party or the parable of the dinner party. And um, uh, it, it, to reinforce this, this point that Jesus was making, Jesus followed up, yes, there, there was once a man who threw a great dinner party and invited many. And when it was time for dinner, he sent out his servant to the invited guests saying, come on in, the food's on the table. Well, what happened is the servants went out and uh, they invited all, and to all the people that had previously been invited and said, come, come, come. And you know what? Every one of them made an excuse, said, oh, I'm sorry, I can't come. Oh, I'm just too busy at the moment. I, I just bought a block of land. I've got to go and see it. Sorry, I just got married. I just can't come. Or, uh, you know, I've just started a business, can't come. And it, it's easy for us to make excuses, you know, to not come. But let's read the rest of the story. It says... The servant reported back, So, Master, I did what you commanded, and there's still room. And the servant had actually gone, previously the master had said to the servant, Well, you know, go out, go out to the city and the streets of the city. And I don't know, I might have the scripture here. Let me have a look. Yeah, I've got it here. So the servant went back and told the master what had happened. He was outraged, told the servant, quickly go out into the city streets and alleys. Collect all who look like they need a square meal, all the misfits and homeless and down and out. Now, that's no one here, I know. All, all the misfits and homeless and down and out. You can lay your hands on and bring them here. The servant reported back, Master, I did what you commanded and there's still room. The master said, then go out to the country roads. Whoever you find, drag them in. That's pretty strong language, don't you reckon? Pretty strong? Could you or would you do that? That's what Jesus said. Bring, I just want, because this is it. I want my house full. Let me tell you, not one of those originally invited is going to get so much as a bite at my dinner party. I think for me, the key part is where it says here, I want my house full. And that's, we, we need to understand that's in the heartbeat of God, that He is reaching out to people. He really is. I think we were praying in the prayer meeting this morning in there, you know, that there'll be more people who are believers in the city like Toowoomba. We've got, you know, 200,000 people. You know what? Radical. That would be a radical transformation because in this city, there's only about every 10,000 people or something in, in Toowoomba, uh, you know, regularly attending churches anywhere. So if we had 100,000 people, that'd be 10 times what you ever see in any kind of church building that'd be radical you know we'd be out on the street we'd be we'd be knocking out the wall you know we'd be knocking out the back wall we'd be trying to do something to fit in here but God says I want my house full and so the call to us today is to come to him you know and it's also a call to us to go to those who've never heard and say to them 
you know, the door's open. God says, come, come to the party. Come to the party. (laughs) It's not come and make your life miserable. It's come to the party. God says, come to the party, the dinner party. I've got so much to give you. God's invitation is open and he wants his house full. And so, you know, the invitation to come, it's open. It just is. And, you know, the thing is that not, not everyone will respond. I, I know that. Not everyone will respond. And it leads us to the question, well, how do, how do you respond to God's invitation? You know, it's so simple. You just say yes to Jesus. Say yes to him. And say, you know, God, I'm coming to you. God, I'm ready. I'm coming to you right now. And you, and you turn away from things because there's going to be things in your life that, will, that you know will drag you back down again. So you, you turn away from those things. And that might be progressive, you know, but you turn away from those things and you leave them behind. You know, there's a, there's a great story of a, a blind beggar in the New Testament called Bartimaeus. And Jesus called out to him and said, come. And what Bartimaeus did was, it says he threw off his beggar's coat or cloak. He threw it off and he ran towards Jesus. So sometimes you've got to throw some things off in the, pro, in, in the pursuit of Jesus to come to him. Every one of us in this room, if you know Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, you've had to do that. You've had to throw some things off sometimes we've got to do that and sometimes after you've been following jesus for a while you know he puts his finger on something he says well what about that that's something there that you need to let go of and you know it's going to hold you back and you say okay i'm going to let that go because i've got a single-minded determination to follow jesus i wonder can our creative team come back now uh, to the front and the last thing it's it's just, this is so easy, folks. It's just trust Jesus with your future. So three things. Say yes to Jesus. Turn away from things in the past that would drag you back. And then just trust Jesus with your future. It's pretty basic, isn't it? You know, that's, we don't need to get too religious about that or try and figure it all out in our minds. It's just trusting Him, just trusting Him. And maybe you're here this morning and you haven't actually taken that step. Um, I, wonder, I wonder, can we just close our eyes for a moment, if we could all just close our eyes, because I want to ask you this question. Have you taken that step to say, I'm going to trust you, Jesus? I'm going to say yes. I'm going to invite you into my life. No one's looking around. Every head is bowed, every eye's closed. If that's you this morning, you're saying, yeah, today I need to take that step. I need to take just, just one step towards Jesus. If that's you, why don't you just raise your hand because I just want to pray with you before we close this morning. Yep, yep, I can see that hand over there. That's great. Anyone else? Who else is saying yes? to Jesus. That's me. I want to take that step today. I want to take that step. Hallelujah. Glory to God. That's fine. You know what, friends? You can invite someone in any time, someone else that you know, a family member, a friend, someone at work, someone you meet down the street. You can always invite someone to come to Jesus. And it's a great thing to be able to do. You know, sometimes we've got to say, Jesus, I'm coming to you, you know, and and you might say, well, I've I've got to let go of these things. Friend, let me tell you, it doesn't matter what you need to let go of. What you gain by following him is always going to be more than anything you've got to let go of. (laughs) 
what you what you gain is always going to be more for the for the uh, the strategic thinkers a cost benefit analysis i want to tell you what you gain is always more than what it might cost